Hello everyone and welcome to a very special episode of Podcast Maximus. We sit down and talk to Lost Lives author James Roberts about his work and various other things that have occurred over the last year. This was recorded at the uh, second ever TF Nation convention earlier in August, so we'd like to thank them for both putting on a fun weekend and uh, helped organise this. And also we'd like to thank James for taking the time to sit down and talk to, with us, especially after we initially sent him to the wrong wing of a hotel. Joining me, Stuart Webb, in this chat are Tyrone McNally and Marion Hilditch. Enjoy the interview, folks. How are you enjoying the day here at TF Nation 2017? Oh, it's all good fun. It's been, um, it's gone really quickly. I've received a Morrissey pin badge. That was good. That was very nice. It's not nice. on you. You're no, I just, I, I'm sure it's for the, for the audience in the room here. <laughs> To show where you might want to put a pin badge, um, I have received. Uh, someone made me pancakes, chocolate pancakes. Really? Mm-hmm. Right there in their like room. Like fresh. I don't know where they were made, but they pre- <laughs> presented me with with pancakes they'd made somewhere on site, and I got I got the obligatory uh, peanut M and M's. That was nice. A lot of food, a lot of chocolate. Okay. Yeah. Is that sitting well? You, get, you, you have to eat them in front of it? Yeah, they just... made me. Yeah, they're, oh. they're, and then they yeah they go behind a screen. They said, <laughs> and then and then they sort of backlit it, and they said now eat. <laughs> It's strange, but I did it. Right. Oh, yeah, I hope it's all... It's all, it's all I hope fun. it all goes where it needs to. <laughs> yeah, well, I was also given a fantastic um, Bernie's Inn-related uh, uh, Transformers UK issue by someone. Um, oh, who was it? Stuart somebody. Stuart somebody. Um, Mr. Webb very kindly gave me issue 107 of the UK comic, which were, but but not just any issue, one that was given away through uh, the Bernie in franchise. He has described this to me, and I, as someone who didn't grow up here, I don't understand. No matter how many I times. barely understand it myself. I think it was like <laughs> a wimpy, certainly. like a shit wimpy. We had wimpy. Yeah, had imagine wimpy. wimpy, but less sexy. Oh no. Yeah. I don't want wimpy that. gone to seed. French mains, apparently. What? Mm. All the stuff. Wow. But last year, somebody gave you a toaster because you wrote about the toaster. Yes. Yeah. Did you think I was start writing about big piles of gold or diamonds <laughs> or something actually worth yeah. When you sign um, with IDW, you've got to sign it to say that you're not going to exploit fans. So I would never do that, Stuart. I guess that you know. My integrity is very important. Um, did you pick t- up the animated comic? Not yet, no. I did go and spend um, a good uh, 40 minutes in The Forge, which was really busy this year. That's where all the fan fans are hawking their wares. And... Um, I saw lots of lovely Lost Light stuff. I got a Chrome Diamond Rewind pencil case. Got lots of badges. Uh, yeah, it's lots of stuff. I, I particularly like um, fan-made stuff based on original characters in Lost Light and Normal HCI. So I've got some Nickel stuff and Nautica and Velocity and lots of Auden Lug, which is encouraging. Of course. Yeah. We left you off. We, the Royal We, the Podcast Maximus team in yeah. our hotel room at TF Nation, uh, we were talking about way back in the day of the Revolution one-shot, Modern Meets the Eye. Yes, yeah. Can you, can you remember? I can, I remember that, yeah. yeah. Although, although, you say that, but um, Nick and I, Nick Roach and I were talking today, we both, lots of people uh, on within the IDW creative fraternity received the San Diego Comic Con Revolution box set like as, as a gift and that never happens that never happens so we were we all received it and Nick and I said to each other um, oh but you know it feels wrong because we didn't do nothing and I said, oh no actually we did we did we did that issue that issue which split split the world down the middle <laughs> um, what was it like working with Nick again uh, it was difficult um, he's got an ego, uh, fiery temperament, um, crippling substance abuse. <laughs> um, is that why they wouldn't let him into this hotel? Absolutely, yeah. And and even like basic communication is very difficult. So you know you, you can't use a keyboard. Um, you know, try and talk on the telephone, but it's just a series of grunts. Um, so somehow, you know, I was able to eke out some semblance of, you know, of, of, of do you like this? Do you not like that? And the issue came together accordingly. Okay. Who uh, was responsible for the snooker player joke? The, well, see, you, end, you 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 do a deal with the other one, you see, and you can't you can't say who, who was responsible <laughs> for, for that. But I think that was Nick, because <laughs> um, actually we wanted to. Steve Steve Davis was one of the people we name checked mm. originally, and and we didn't get we well we I know we <laughs> tell a lie we did get a lot of notes back from Hasbro for that for that story, um, but one of them the earliest one was like you can't use Steve Davis because there's somebody at Hasbro with a similar name. 
but you know, but but the overriding principle of using eighty snooker players <laughs> as you know as as an alias is fine. So that was good. I, I, I would have thought it'd been the opposite. I would have thought that if they're in the in the fraternity, yeah. then they're fair game. I mean, maybe it was actually Steve Davis that works for Hasbro. We don't know. We don't know what we came of it. Um, there's something I wanted to ask you about the scavengers because mm-hmm. they're fairly unique, not just in Transformers but also in kind of the sort of monthly comic genre. Mm-hmm. Is that they're at risk most you know even if people aren't outright superheroes they are kind of above human they're not really allowed to be broken oh okay actually yeah yeah um and and it's you know you just don't see the dramatic potential mm-hmm. uh being explored so we're we talking about sort of groups of losers really yeah well yeah. i would say more you know they're injured they're yeah. traumatized they're broken. oh i see what you mean so damaged in that in, in yeah okay okay I mean, they are. They, with each story, they're sort of, they're they're getting they're getting at be they're getting better at being together. They're getting stronger emotionally, and uh, if nothing else, um, and they're coping with things better. So there, there's a progression each time. At conventions like this, lots of people always say, "Will there be another scavenger story? And when will that be? And what will happen in it? And tell me panel by panel what's going to happen." Um, no, but the, <laughs> people do say they're coming back, and they are going to come back, obviously. Um, the revolution thing was sort of a bonus we didn't expect you know we we were given a blank canvas really to do revolution stuff it, it didn't have to be a, re- a scavenger story but it was easier to take a, 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 a group of characters on, on the periphery of the main storyline and, and do something with them and that way we were able to have it on earth you know you couldn't pull lost light characters from deep space back to earth so my next question is, can you tell us what's going to happen panel by panel? Yeah, so uh, page one, panel one, establishing shot, um, misfires, nest. Um, <laughs> uh, we'll move on to Titan's Return. Yep, so we're going we're gonna to cover, we're bridging the, I yeah, can see what's happening here. Okay, okay. Okay, okay. Yeah, let's, let's mine that, let's mine that scene. Okay, yeah, Titan's Return, yep. Titan's Return, um, you've got Sentinel Prime kind of yep. appearing as this kind of, Enoch Powell back from the dead. Yeah, there's a lot of scary things happening right now. In fact, there's quite a lot of frightening things happening today. In this very room. Yes, yep. terrifying. <laughs> Fire, Brimstone. I don't know if you're keeping up with Charlottesville mm-hmm. today, but just a bit of harmless, hard right, fascist, neo-Nazi oh. celebrations. Eh, just a happy carnival of racists. <laughs> there's some. It's obviously not that extreme, but there's like there's. Feels like there there is baggage with Transformers. You know the Cold War beginnings, yep. fighting vehicles, the whole concept of the endless war, and the fact that they're turning to consumer goods. Yep. How do you confront that? My mind's just zeroed in on the words fighting vehicles, <laughs> which I think we frankly we've all missed a trick in not plastering that over all the publicity stuff. Fighting vehicles. Um, what was the question? <laughs> yeah, I really no. Um, we're talking about sort of real world analogies, yeah, and Transformers and. Um... Well, not necessarily clear analogies, just that um, as a franchise, it's, it has been born in yep. a place that. It's been born in a place that's opposite to you. Oh right, my my, my politics personally. Yeah, how do you, do you do you are you do you, are you conscious of that while you're writing? Do you try and confront it, or do you just follow your own way? Wow. This is this is heavy heavy questioning heavy questioning for five minutes into the wow okay um, <laughs> uh, okay so right well 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 let's unpack that then so transformers obviously are, are a hyper capitalist you know entity aren't they I mean they are, they are born not just of capitalism but of but of your sort of your your turbocharged eighties deregulated market you know so and the the part of the transformers uh, mythos in the sense of you know the the hunt for energy and all that stuff is all very connected to OPEC and the oil crisis and all that so you know so very much steeps in in your, your 80s Reaganite policies and indeed part of the reason Transformers are successful in having that cartoon was because of you know Reagan Reaganite de- deregulation of the TV industry so it's all very much born of of your, of you know your mid-period capitalism see I don't you know your listeners may not know they may have perhaps divined where my <laughs> politics lie from from some of the stories in Lost Light or More Than Meets the Eye but it's only really if they follow me on Twitter that they'll get a sense of my obviously rabid socialist <laughs> leanings. 
Um, really? Yeah. Yes, I know it's gone over your head, Stuart, but it's uh, yeah. <laughs> I would have read about butter. <laughs> yes, I mean, people take what they need to take from my Twitter feed, right? Um, you'll find whatever you've come looking for. There's so many ways you could approach this question. Okay, so Transformers is, I've said it before, it's, it's durable enough and mature enough um, and financially successful enough to accommodate all sorts of different story stories uh, in different media. So, you know, you've got, well, I was having a conversation um, with somebody earlier today um, about whether, because it, it came up online, um, Lindsay Ellis asked the question, um, pseudo-rhetorically, um, is it, is it the case that if you're a Transformers comic fan, you're more likely to be left-leaning? And if you're a fan of principally the Bay, the Bay, Bay movies, that you're not. Now, the, thing with the, the problem with that question is, or the, the difficulty in answering that is because the, the Bay movies, you know, millions and millions of people go to see them. Um, but there, is some, uh, there may be something in that, I don't know. Um, my point is, though, that, that you, could, you could project um, deliberately or subconsciously your politics um, whatever stripe they are onto different facets of the Transformers universe. You know, you don't have to say in 2017 the Transformers universe across all media and, and, and means of storytelling is a left, right, centrist, whatever. You know, mm -hmm. it's going to come down to the author and it's going to come down to how, how much space they've got um, in, um, in, in the medium in which they're telling the stories. Not, not in the medium per se, but in, um, like, the IDW, um, thankfully, um, enjoys a lot of creative freedom when it comes to the Transformers comics. And, you know, we, we do get feedback as writers. We get feedback from editorial. We get feedback from, from Hasbro themselves. Um, but generally speaking, um, you know, we are given a lot of freedom. And that's manifest not so much in... Um, I don't know if you if you would point to certain issues of More Than Meets the Eye and Lost Light and say, firstly, that's overtly political. But also, secondly, that 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 is that's that's radical or that 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 that's so overtly political that it's going to offend somebody. I don't think you you really see that often. Um, in fact, for lots of people, um, they they wouldn't see more than meets the eye or lost light as political at all. You know, you've sometimes you've got to know you've got to know what you're looking for. But in 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 the sphere of sort of social, um, what do you want to call it really, progressive politics um, and and inclusion and representation. You know, we've had more female characters we've we obviously very recently now had um, our, fir our first trans characters um, I do see Lost Light and Northern Meets the Eye from time to time get get attacked um, from people who are saying oh you know you're pushing an agenda so as I talk I, my arguments becoming becoming more crystallized I think you're for yes if if the title is seen as politicized it's going to be in the sphere of of, uh, of identity politics that people are going to going to take umbrage and say I don't want that, you know, shoved down my throat type thing. When that happens, it seems to be a tiny, tiny minority of people because generally everyone's really accepting. Um, I see less often people saying, well, I've read that issue and, you know, you're, you're a commie or you're a pinko or, you know, you're trying to, you know, poison the minds of my kids by, <laughs> you know, some sort of Bevanite manifesto or something, you know. So, um, I don't know. Years ago, when you asked me that question, that there was the semblance of an answer. We, we, we've certainly heard words for a long time, so maybe your listeners will decide whether there is there's cogency in that answer. Yeah. Or not. On a related point, then obviously the world is changing quite rapidly mm. now. You may have noticed, mm. uh, and you presumably write months in advance. Yes. So how many things, maybe issues about, <laughs> that have wound up looking like something completely different to what um, you might have thought of when you were writing it? Because I, I yeah. know with certainly the Fudgeons arc, people. I saw people seem to be seeing really that morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's an interesting side conversation, is it? People's perception that I, you know, in between the, the preview pages coming out and the actual issue, <laughs> there's time to uh, to change the rest of the story based on the feedback. Like, I don't, um, you know, this this conversation suggests that I sort of that I, I think that I'm far more of a p political writer than I really am. Well, certainly I don't I don't have. I mean, we all have political biases, but I, I don't sort of have a, an agenda. I don't think I do. I mean, there are sometimes there are points I want to make, and the functionist universe arc dissolution um, be, being rooted in part in the functionist universe. I will say, you know, that 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 was written during Trump's ascendancy, mm -hmm. and uh, certainly the last issue when you, when when Megatron sort of soliloquizes, solilo yeah, delivers a soliloquy about um, choice and about fake news and false facts and about education and about empathy and stuff. That that was written from a place. 
that's me thinking you know the, the world is in a is in dodgy territory at the moment and uh, i was i suppose i was yeah i said yeah i suppose i was um advocating a certain political path in that instance but you know like i didn't sit down with nick to write revolution and say right <laughs> what what points are we going to make this time what would you say to a sort of a megatron of today somebody in britain who's on the receiving end of society who could have more to gain by bringing it all down mm. organize is the answer i wouldn't i wouldn't go i wouldn't um certainly wouldn't in a podcast advocate violent direct action <laughs> <laughs> i would say but i would say unionize and organize and and that message at the end of issue six um was was sincere uh, empathize is the other thing as well because what you're seeing if we're talking real world now, is a polarisation of views and a fragmentation of people, and and you know, aided and abetted by sort of the echo chamber effect, people are less exposed to alternate views, and when they are, they react with such violence on both sides. You know, sort of rhetorical violence. That mm. there's, you know, if we're ever going to try and bridge that gap, and 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 have some sort of you know unity, um, I'm not saying. I'm not. I'm not playing the classic centrist card of saying. Um, no, never. You know, uh, um, quite the opposite. But I'm saying, you know, you need to, you need to try and persuade the other side to see, to see where you're coming from. You know. Do you feel you're in a good position to do that because you? Have no, no, I don't. I don't. I don't. This is what I'm saying because uh, this because um, it's not a political screed. You know, no. it's it's a story about fighting vehicles. We've established that. <laughs> um, um, you know, the other thing is also that, that, that Megatron, yes, Megatron was an inherently political character, you know, and for, for, for 30 issues or so, it was, it was the Megatron show. And you can't write about where he is and where he's going without getting deeply political. It remains to be seen whether in future Lost Light issues there is the context within which to tell political stories or not. So, yeah, so um, I, I'm a political person. I don't think I'm a, I'm a overtly political writer, but like I say, you take what you want from the issues, you know. I suppose that segues us nicely into Lost Light. Yes. Uh, which has had quite a drastic reformatting at the start from uh, more than the TI, because they're sort of on a small little craft. Yeah. At least for the moment, there's less of them. Yeah. Was that an. Red Dwarf 6 influence? <laughs> Not everything's James. Let me finish the question. It's. Because it was in Red Dwarf 7, Star Wars was made, though, and Jim Pratt and Dental wanted to skip. Anyway, that's not the question. Wait till the end of the question. What's that? <laughs> it's an aggressive interview technique, isn't it? The mood's changed in this room. What's Firstly, that? why are you a political firebrand? Secondly, <laughs> I don't even know where this is going now. I just know that he's had, he's had a sip what of whiskey and he's getting... He's getting... Was that an easier reformatting or a harder reformatting than bringing Megatron in at the start of season two? Uh, it, was, it was harder because it was, it was sort of... Um, it was unexpected, really. I mean, had, had more than meets the eye continued uninterrupted then there was always going to be a period of time when they were having to get off Necro World. Um, but, you know, we wouldn't have gone from a six-parter about Megatron versus the DVD to a six-parter about uh, the Functionist Universe and, and, and them trying to escape Necro World. You would have had in between that, at the very least, um, a three- or four-part story about, about Getaway and the others, and possibly another two... Forgetting Titans Return, but another one- or two-parter about maybe... Um, you know, another aspect of Luna One Life, or, or or even Nickel on the I don't know, but you'd have had it would have, it would have been structured differently, and I think I've said before, n not on your show, but you know that there were additional challenges associated with that first arc because it was issue one, you know, because it was the, it was ostensibly um, for for new people. Um, in reality, you know, the vast majority of people reading it are going to be, they would have carried over from more than meets the eye. But um, and we were knee deep, we were neck deep in, 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 we were drenched in continuity. You know, you cannot, you could not have chosen a worst point at which to step off um, one title and step onto another in terms of, you know, um, you've, got, you've got a mutiny, you've got the core cast of characters on a hollow planet, um, you've got uh, uh, 30 or 40 or 70 new characters introduced via time travel, then the freaking planet blows up, you know. <laughs> start next week afresh you know it's, it's difficult to do that um so um so structurally yeah it, it was it was more difficult um writing this first six issues in the context of the of the, of the title itself being relaunched um yeah you had an incredibly tall order there yeah and you know it's um i i, I know it, it's got a mixed reception jack and i were talking about it um yesterday and um 
and, and, and I don't say this about all the stories that get a mixed reception, but I do think, I certainly hope, that dissolution is, is looked upon more kindly in, in sort of months and years to come. I think when it when 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 all the cracks and joins are smoothed over and really more than meets the eye, lost light is see, is seen as one big story, and this little sort of speed bump where we've retitled it, and when when that sort of just becomes smoothed out through distance, I think dissolution will be seen as you know as another arc in the overall storyline, and you know it's um, I don't know I just think it'll be it'll be better received than it has, but that could just be my ego talking. <laughs> You've done um, uh, a great judo move with the functionalist arc because, mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but functionalism seems to be a way to explore class divides. Yeah. But it kind of dawned on me with issue eight mm. um, and with Anode and Light's mm. introduction, you've mm. uh, segued it. It's now no longer about Megatron's story entirely. It's also it can be used to explore trans issues as well. Mm -hmm. uh, was that baked in from the beginning, or is that am I? First of all, am I correct in going that way? Is that been baked in from the beginning? Is this something that's that's evolved? Are you are you making a connection between sort of functionist philosophy and, or well, functionist philosophy in the functionist universe, mm. and the sort of experiences of, of Logan Anode in our universe? Yeah, I would uh, assume that uh, the functionists would come for Anode and Lug. Yeah, well, we never, we deliberately deliberately didn't see Lug in the functionist universe. Um, we did see Ant. See, I wanted to I, I wanted to parcel out the information about those two new characters and their um, the fact that they the, yeah, that, that they transitioned. It felt it felt there was already so much happening in the Functionist Universe arc in those six issues, um, and it felt like it would have been sort of it would have it would have been too much noise. So. Um, and and knowing that knowing that we were going to have a two-parter focusing on the four female characters, it felt it felt better suited to come at that point in the story. But so so yeah so we said so, but I did want I did want you to see Anode in the Functionist Universe to because it gave her more page time and it gave you a better understanding of her character and it showed you actually that in this parallel universe you know she's um, she's respected she's trusted in in our universe the the Anode we know is a bit of a freewheeler you know is that she so she steals she's she's um, got an attitude. Um, but here in this parallel universe, you know, she's she's risen up the ranks of the. Uh, well, first of all, she's she's fighting on the right side, you know. So she's with the um, anti-vocationist league, um, and she's in a position of authority. So you know, you're, you're sort of seeing a more mature version of, of Anode in, in in that universe, and that was important because it, it it suggested that that was a dimension to to her character, you know, that we haven't come across yet in our universe. Yeah. Uh, well, that leads into something I. Was what really, I mean, one of the things I really liked about Dissolution was that you avoided most of the dark parallel universe tropes. Mm. You didn't have the evil, e evil, evil twins and all that. I mean, yeah. Were you tempted to have an evil hoist show up? Or, uh, <laughs> Quark's presumably evil. Um, he was evil in our universe, you can tell. <laughs> um, I, wasn't, I was never tempted to, to, to have, you know, darkest timelines type you know, mustachioed uh, villains. Um, but I was, I did think, you know, are people going to be expecting to see living versions of dead characters you know so do they want to see trailbreaker um, or, the, or do they want to see um, quark and stuff um, but again it was just there was so much going on in that story well and also i mean it may have been it, had those had those characters made made appearances it would have been of the sort of cameo variety it would have been sort of fleeting glimpses of them because you know you couldn't there's so many there's so many plots and subplots in that in those six issues and they were i mean in, in a way which people and and People wouldn't have appreciated it when they were reading it month by month, but of course I knew that it was Megatron's swan song. So, you know, I could understand people saying, we've just had The Dying of the Light, which is a Megatron story, and here we are now, and he's getting more attention, and he's getting his speeches, and he's getting his... And, and, I, yeah, and I was thinking, well, okay, I can see why you're saying that, but bear in mind, after this, that's your lot, you know? So with all that going on, <clears throat> and the need to establish Anode and Lug as, 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 as new characters, to have brought in more, more people, in the shape of skids or trailbreaker or pipes, it just felt it was already too cluttered, you know. The same way for moments. Have you met Pipes voice actor today? Have they? Didn't know who's who's that. The, the, the squeaky what, flat guy. Is it? Don't look at me. Uh, How many times has Pipes spoken on? Yeah, uh, he, he said two things. Of it, but this man also played a Dinobot, but he's been promoted oh. uh, to <laughs> mention as being the voice of Pipes, so he can make it do <laughs> stuff. 
So tormenting, basically. It's, oh, I, okay, when okay. I met him, I said, I bet you didn't know Pipes was so popular. And he said, no. <laughs> Who's Pipes, he said? I was a Dinobot! A Dinobot! <laughs> Anno and Lug have been a, a really immediate way for Jack to uh, mm-hmm. put his stamp on mm-hmm. Lost Light. Mm-hmm. Uh, did he have free reign on the design of them? Because they, they're very distinctive looking. I, I knew I wanted I wanted Anode to be a, a androgynous in terms of a design. I didn't want it to be a, the sort of typical curvy fembot because I'd wanted actually, if you recall, there's no reason why you would actually because it wasn't you that I spoke to. But but Dark, Dark Cybertron when we brought fembots into the IDW universe, I wanted the um, I wanted that the the fembots um, for want of a better phrase, the female Transformers at the when they made their appearance to not look female, mm-hmm. and you would you would they would be you know you'd assume. Because it's a you know, it's a default masculine society. You'd assume they were more male robots. And then it's only in the next issue that they'd refer to each other as she. So actually, you know, in the sense that's that's your that's your precursor to your anode and lug uh, situation, really. So I said so I said to Jack, uh, I want anode to be uh, androgynous. I want lug to be to be sort of male looking and quite boxy and bulky. Um, this is what they transform into. Um, anode is a, like an Indiana Jones adventure type. So I wanted to have like a utility belt. I wanted to turn to a biplane. So, um, uh, and I, th- I don't know if I went as far as giving colour cues, but I was quite specific. Um, more specific with, with Anode than, than Lug, actually. But, but if you've got someone that turns to a backpack, you know, you're quite <laughs> restricted in, in, in terms of design. You haven't given them easy ones like laser pointers and backpacks, right? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And if you, if you look at, um, if you, Jack's brought his Lost Light Bible to, to, to sell at the convention, and you'll see the only place that you can see uh, clickers alt mode uh, as a laser pointer is, is in those pages. <laughs> Um, so I was quite specific, um, I, and I certainly made a point of saying, you know, Anode is, I don't know if I said boyish, but you know, she she, she sort of, she's, she she straddles that divide, and then and then Jack just took those notes and and made them a billion times better and presented things which were like I remember the first time I saw Anode in particular, you just knew, I just instantaneously I couldn't imagine there being a Transformers universe without Anode in it. You know? <laughs> now I know that's not as you know, there's there's people out there incredibly that don't um treasure anode as much as i do but you know um it was you know you 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 conceptualize something and then then nick um, or jack or alex visualize it and it becomes real and and that and anode was the most sort of potent example of that happening what i was really curious about and sort of picking back going back to the functions universe and anode's function and so obviously she different worlds mean different things to different people so anode is sounds like she's born into privilege in the functionist universe yes Uh, and i was wondering actually is she female from the start in that universe because that is a choice in the functionist yeah now interesting question because i um yes she is born into privilege in both universes um i debated whether so like i said i wanted to i didn't want to bring the um the sort of the, the, the trans element of, of, of anode and lug into the story when there were so many other things happening had i wanted to do that then when you saw anode in the functionist universe universe you could have had her looking different you know and and that would have that would have made sense yeah, because that anode we presume didn't travel off world and, and see other societies so the fact that functionist universe anode ended up looking the same as our anode Suggests that maybe it was a primal vanguard, but, it, but other other experiences or different experiences led her to the same place. Mm. And, and she because took there are female characters in the Functionist Cybertron. Yes, because we've got the the, the, the rungettes, yeah. as they are only ever called <laughs> in the script. Sorry, that's that's just that was just that script shorthand. Um, I feel that's a backward step, but um, <laughs> I was doing so well. I was doing so well. It was just script shorthand, okay, to to say um, female female transformers that have modeled themselves on rung i wasn't going for some sort of philip phil specter back you know backing singer type thing but sort of structurally the, yeah the, the look thing how hard was that to do was that a oh that, was that a pretty balancing act to achieve or in terms of the the, the reveal that she was she wasn't yeah, there yeah no, she was the uh i can't think what the right word is uh well hallucination really yeah that is the correct word yeah <laughs> it's a, a word for that already <laughs> um part of the problem of course as has always been the case, is that is that you know how much do you how many how many clues do you give and how much how much do you say? Because if I uh, it would have been really easy to give no clues at all, right? And then you've got the reveal and everybody says you've cheated because <laughs> there's there's nothing to have suggested that. But any, I believe me, <laughs> any possible hint or clue 
somebody will say, oh, I know what that means. And it happened in this case. It happened in this case. Yeah. Oh, I see. So I reckon. I reckon. And it can be a. It can be a casual, friendly, just throwaway, speculative comment. But it all takes to someone. Oh, what? Oh, I reckon. I reckon Lug's dead. And then, bang. Then, it, then it gets you. You sort of get this crowdsourced theory, um, like f literally four. I've got the urge to swear today. Um, literally four months before the the big reveal comes out. And anyway, but um, so yeah. So. Um, I did want to give, give, give. I'm trying to think what the biggest. I think the biggest hint wasn't it was was the fact that you know the, the classic sort of turn around and they're gone type thing. That was the. And by the way, I mean I, I the fact that I feel the need to expound on this uh, is sort of testament to weaknesses in the story. But the idea, for the avoidance of doubt, the idea is that yes, she was a hallucination, but it was Anno's way of working through that guilt. So if you, the idea was if you went back and reread all their conversations, with the knowledge that. You know those conversations are entirely a product of Anode's subconscious. Then you get another insight into where Anode's coming from and, and what, what she feels guilty about, and you know, and it's she's essentially learning to forgive herself for what she did. Mm. That's the idea. The idea was it wasn't just sort of meaningless exercises in form to sort of say, oh look, those three conversations didn't really happen. You know, sort of like a like a, a, a an empty calorie sort of narrative <laughs> twist. The idea was, it's telling you something about Anode. You go back and the nature of those conversations um, should, should give you an insight into the type of, into where Anode's coming from. What was your favorite part of our first arc there? What do you think really? I liked the, um, I, liked, I liked the fact that it had, a, um, to my mind anyway, a full-blown climax, which, which, yeah, I mean, the, all, the, all arcs do have a climax, but I wanted it. I was influenced in part by Space, by space Pirates, uh, no, sorry, by Legacy of Unicron. Because I wanted it to be, it was six parts, and I wanted it to have like a big action, a big, very visual, splashy set piece type finale. And Rung Punching a Moon ticks all the fucking boxes, all right? <laughs> so, did you come up with the growing uh, bigger by force thing for Rung, or for the spaceship they were going to steal? No, that was entirely for Rung. I just wanted it, I wanted it, it was like Mothman versus Godzilla. I wanted a giant Rung Punching a Moon. Um, and, because, uh, yeah, because we don't do that type of sort of. It's ludicrous. It's it's an it's an over the top thing, and we don't do that much in in uh, in more than meets the eye or lost. Like normally, it's going to be somebody grappling over a moral dilemma and relying on an apostrophe from twenty six months ago. <laughs> you know, so this was this was nice, and and it was good for Jack. It, it was just big and splashy and bold, and uh, and it felt like I mean, I've, again, I'm you know, I'm bigging myself up, aren't I? But it it felt like if this was a good escalation in terms of scale, literally, but also in terms of sort of, you know, the the payoff. So you know, we had. The actual, that and, 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 and again, unlike more than meets the eye, perhaps you know that 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 final battle started like midway through the story. It was like in part four. We started having that. They started, you know, they started pulling up uh, the city, and then they you know, they uprooted the statue, and then then you had then you had the cog, and then you had the moon, and then you had Rung becoming Uber Rung. So yeah, it's um. Is that what he's called in the script as well? It's Uber Rung. He's called Mega Rung. He's called Mega Rung. <laughs> Um, yeah, mega rung and ruggets. Um, but no, actually, that, that I gave that my real answer is I'm most proud of the way in which we removed Megatron from the stage. That's that. I mean, I'm. I mean, I said to Jack again yesterday. I managed to come up with a um, with a finale, and a uh, an outcome for Rung, which meant you arrived. Uh, sorry, an outcome for Megatron, which is guaranteed to piss off both camps. So <laughs> so people that that felt Megatron, um, you know, got off lightly, um, are pissed off. <laughs> people that that, are, that feel denied. Um, you know that the, they're upset that Megatron's not around anymore. They're, I mean, I found a way to annoy everybody in, inadvertently <laughs> when it came to that. That, but I, I like it. I, I think. Uh, it, it was, uh, it was very bitter. Well, yeah. I, I don't know that there was anything sweet about it. Yeah. I was going to say bittersweet, but it mm. was certainly it did leave you in a bit of a what just happened. Yeah. Well, you know, you couldn't. The easy, the easy options were to have Megatron um, contrive to stay there, you know, but he didn't. Um, it was important to me that that um, he felt abandoned, and that, that the rest of the cast felt that he betrayed them, because mm. that is horrible. Mm. Um, but you know, Megatron isn't, isn't owed any favors, and really. I mean, you know, he's. Uh, I, I I do have a lot of sympathy for people that say, you know, he shouldn't be given an inch because of what he did, but you know, the sort of the the the, the life outside the story, you know, um, meant that he had to. He what does that say about? Magnus and one of us there that they just assumed he's betrayed rather than saying being yeah. blown up on the way back or killed or injured or something because, because you know because for four million years they've known him as a duplicitous mercenary manipulative ruthless man <laughs> robot um, and for a year 
it's a bit nebulous. But roughly a year or whatever, they've had him as a, as, a, as, a, as a crew member. Now, yeah, true. They were both in different ways coming around to him and, and starting to like him or accept him. But all it takes is one apparent... You know, if, if there's a flash of doubt in their minds, and in this case, Megatron was fine, he was going to head their way, he said to Rodimus, I will be there, I'll g give you my word. He doesn't turn up. They're going to assume, because it's Megatron, the Megatron of four million years as opposed to 18 months, they're going to assume that he's he's betrayed them. And that was why we had that argument in issue four, you know, to sow those seeds, to, to show that there was still this, um, you know, to remind people that there's a trial happening. And this isn't just Megatron. Megatron gets to or travel around the galaxy having adventures. He is heading towards his fate. And so it, we had to have that argument so that Rodimus suspects two issues later that he's done these things to avoid facing justice. Um, one of us seems to be in a pretty bad way at the moment. Is, is he just on the fact that he's to avoid using any words and also behave of a... Yeah, we can't go, oh, we've been hoist while I'm over time. <laughs> I think the first thing is that Rodimus has definitely channeled all his anger towards ex Getaway exclusively. So I, I, Rodimus, Rodimus thinks Getaway's done something to trick the others. Because Rodimus can't cope with the, uh, the the possibility that that they that the rest of the crew on mass decided to kick him off, so it's easier for Rodimus to think he's a manipulator, he's a trickster, um, and um, and it shouldn't be surprising to anybody that's read more than meets the eye from the beginning that something like this is going to completely push push Rodimus over the edge, you know, on every level. So you know, because uh, what matters most to Rodimus is um, is the ship, well, you know, is being the captain of a ship, you know, the ship, <laughs> the crew, yeah. Um, and and being seen to succeed and things and so you've got you know getaway that's that's outsmarted him that seems to have, uh, in his eyes you know through manipulation or trickery won his crew over uh, he's going to get to cyber utopia first it's literally going to be the worst possible thing that can happen to rodimus so he's going to be fixated uh, and obsessed with with with, with getting revenge I can focus a bit on Rodimus now and also um, what's shaping up to be our next triangle in the story, which oh, is yeah. Rodimus, Drift <laughs> and, and Ratchet. Yeah. Um, I may be jumping ahead a little bit there, but I think what we're starting to see a little bit is Ratchet's sort of looks of disapproval towards the way Rodimus is treating Drift. Yes. Am yeah. I right in this uh, sort of read on the situation that Rodimus is effectively manipulating Drift in the eyes of Ratchet? sort of lay the role that Rodimus wants him to play mm -hmm. while Strift is potentially not quite seeing it that way and he still yeah. has this kind of wide-eyed admiration for Rodimus. It's, it's, it's a really, from my perspective, it's a nicely complicated relationship because, to, well, not, I'm not going to restate what you've said because what you've said is, is, is spot on, but to take it further, you know, Drift, Drift isn't, isn't as wide-eyed and naive as, as, as Ratchet thinks he is in that context, or as Rodimus thinks, because Rodimus still sees Drift as a um, as, as a cheerleader, you know, as, as an almost you know sort of unquestioning supporter of what he does, and that's why, sadly, that's partly why he likes him so much. Um, Ratchet, Ratchet, as you say, Ratchet thinks that Drift is 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 being um, manipulated. Drift, Drift is is smarter than than, than they both realise. So Drift Drift knows there's a means. This is a means to an end. He knows that. Well, he is. He's been. He's seen uh, that, or he's. He has reason to believe that Rodimus is integral to this quest, and Rodimus needs to keep leading. Um, and if that involves massaging his ego, and you know, and keeping it, you know, keeping him whatever, then so be it. <laughs> so, so drift drifts cannier than than the other two think. But but there's 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 more things we're going to explore there because we've, you know, the at the beginning there wasn't a drift ratchet. Their their relationship wasn't wasn't as it is now. There was an antagonism there back in the the annual and things, um, but it was only sixteen issues into the series that, that the drift was removed. You know, from issue sixteen to to what fifty one, he wasn't around. Um, so and and because of the the number of things that happened, the the amount of events in the in the first arc, we haven't really had that downtime, that peaceful time. Um, did uh, did Empire of Stone? Did, yeah. Uh, were you consulted on that, like where the relationship needed to be at the end of it for their return, or was it you looked at what was done in there and? It was it was a case of saying you know um, you know they, Shane wanted to do a miniseries with Drift and he he picked up on the Drift Ratchet thing and he wanted to sort of use that. That's why I had to write issue forty to take Ratchet off the ship, and I knew that at the end of his miniseries they they both survive and they'd be off sort of you know just in space. So it was it was nice and open to, for me to to bring them back in when I wanted. 
going back to draft because I would do that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> we we didn't get to see something that I think a few people were kind of hoping for, and that was some kind of conversation between Drift and Megatron. Yep. Um, yep. Is this something that you would have liked to have written, or something that may have happened off pa panel at some point, or yeah. something that wasn't quite necessary? Um, like the the boring answer is that there was just never never the time to do it. Not not the time to write it. There was never the, the space in the narrative to to have that conversation. I mean, it would have made sense to have it early on in Dying of the Light. But you know, again, a bit like Dissolution, there was so much stuff happening there. Um, so yeah, and so I, I regret that it doesn't exist. The nearest I've got to to acknowledging that relationship is in issue seven, when you know Drift offers an opinion on on Megatron. Uh, someone that's that's come into the mix and has probably literally spent three days, less than that actually. No, that's, that's literally spent a number of hours. Um, you know, in Megatron's company as co-captain, um, you know he's he's got a particular view on what Megatron's absence means to the others, which which he talks about in issue seven. That that sort of the closest I've come to to acknowledging that the drift's got a different relationship with Megatron to the others. But no, it's it, I wish we could have found a way to have that conversation. Another one is um, Minimus and uh, Rewind about Dominus. You know, of course. You know, and and I mean, the downside is. Those opportunities uh, are missed, or we can't find the time to explore them, and that's a bad thing. If I'm spinning it positively, then it's it's reassuring. There's so many, there's so many, uh, you know, fertile conversations that could have been had. You know, the, the characters are, the, the, the dynamics between the characters are such. There's lots of, of possibilities for X to, to talk to Y about Z. You know, and um, you know we can't always, we just can't always do them all. Can we talk about music for a bit? Yes, we can. Yeah. Like a lot of people, I'm kind of I, I learn a lot about music from your. Oh yeah. Okay. From, from your playlists. Uh -huh. In fact, one of the things that the only interest my girlfriend's ever shown in Transformers was I know this wasn't an official <laughs> pick, but uh, Irish Blood. English oh yeah. Heart, Morrissey is yes. referring to Megatron. Yes. She's never heard of Megatron, but she knows that he's Morrissey now. <laughs> and that is how we can talk about. Yeah. Him. Yeah. Uh, I just want to know uh, which is the cart and which is the horse. I'm oh, sorry. it's definitely um, story first and then and then ten days before the issue comes out. I'm like, right. I mean, occasionally there will be a song that, I, that, I, that I've listened to a lot while writing the issue. Um, um, but usually it's a case of, right, so there's the issue. What are the themes? What, what music do, do I know that, that, that reflects those themes? Or so, and sometimes it's very on the nose. Usually it's more sort of thematic or sort of moody. Mood-based, yeah. Some of them seem to fit it like a glass. Yeah, Because like, yeah. uh, um, the timing seemed to work. <laughs> was, uh, to the Rescue. Yes, oh my God, which is a fantastic Lovely. divine comedy song, everybody, that you must go and listen to. Did I? Did that come out to a company, was that midway through Dying of the Light? Yeah, it was, it was, yeah. It was the... the yeah, when, the when, yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that worked well. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, so yeah, I, I, yeah. I was convinced that, yeah. it, that you were writing about that song. Oh, I see, yeah. yeah. But not the case. No, I mean, it, but it was, but it was, but, but in, in, in thinking to myself, okay, what's the themes of the issue? What songs do I know that encapsulate that? Then, to the rescue is it was obviously, and it's good because it was new as well, and yeah. it, didn't, it didn't just exist between the sort of seven years where when because what happens as an aside um, with 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 love of music is generally between the ages of sort of sixteen, twenty, sixteen, twenty-four. There's a lot more time in your life for music, and so you you know you dive deep. And you and you listen to albums and you, you just take more chances and then what happens I'm afraid guys is that <laughs> is that relationships and marriage and children and houses happen and you get seven minutes a week to listen to new things <laughs> and then instead of that you just gravitate towards stuff that you liked 20 years ago so um, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised that 68 issues in or whatever to um to Lost Light more than meets the eye I can still find four or five songs per issue. <laughs> Um, with minimal repetition in terms of balance, so uh, yeah. Uh, what worries me there is, I mean, I've, we have very different musical tastes. I'm still waiting for some Tom Jones or Billy Joel to get onto your playlist. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Morrissey's quite famous for having written a very bad novel with a famously bad sex scene. In it. <laughs> quite, quite famous after the publication of that, which was about two years ago. So he did other stuff before he became a writer. <laughs> <laughs> But does that, does that mean Megatron is an actually very good writer? Is Megatron's poetry actually objectively any good? Well, that we could talk about this at length because... Um, you really like that book? No, it's, it's an awful book. It's a, it's, it's a mesmerisingly bad sex scene. Um, uh, I'm trying. To, I'm honestly trying to think whether I've ever... Because in my head, right? Uh, okay, here's the honest truth. 
at the early stages of me writing Megatron and, and, and filling in the blanks, I thought he was quite a bad poet. Okay, and at some point that's changed into thinking that he was a good poet. And I can't remember whether I've ever put on the page or inferred or implied rather that he was a good or a bad poet. I think the closest I've come is in a text story when uh, Impactor was 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 I think Impactor's opinion of his poetry implied that it was bad. And then we had that poetry reading in Visages. Which exactly so <laughs> is, is Cyclonus just a really bad judge of poetry, or is, is everyone else that, that left that pub or that cocktail bar, sorry, um, just Philistines? Maybe we'll never know. Um, yeah, you're not going to do the issue with Roy, then. I reckon, no, I think that I think we actually have seen we've seen some of Megatron's poetry, wasn't it? And it was doggerel. This was in it was in that text story, um, or was no, it was zero point, so it's the it's in the it's in the hardcover oh, records, wow. yeah. So yeah, so there we go, so-called fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wasn't Rung initially supposed to be a bad? He is. He is a bad psychiatrist. <laughs> he got struck off and still practiced, you know. Yeah, and, all, and, all, and all the things which I mean, yeah, all the, all the criticisms. I mean, he's, really, Freud's awful as well. Is um, it hard to write a good psychiatrist? If you're rather, not a psychiatrist, no, yes. In a dramatic way, because psychiatry is just about talking. Yeah, I think. I think if, I, if I'm honest, what it is is that if you're not a psychiatrist, you're unlikely to be able to write a convincing psychiatrist. <laughs> and so, some people will, will. It'll be enough for some people to go. Oh, that sounds reasonable enough, and I therefore assume wrong's decent. And anybody with deeper knowledge will go. Nobody would do that in real life, you know. <laughs> I, I do. I I've made a, a degree of effort to try and make it accurate, but um. He's better than down a troll. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's a very low bar, isn't it, to, to clear? Has <laughs> um, she even had special powers? That's, this is, which is a cheat, really, isn't it? You're like, no, you can't. Yeah. And you, she you, could tell when you were shouting. And yeah. Your, your angry face, your angry face is sending me a signal. <laughs> We've got some word association. Okay, yep, yeah, right, okay. Three words to describe the following characters. Fangry. <laughs> uh, bitter, humiliated, um... And murderous, that's easy. Lug. Trusty, patient, and stout. <laughs> because that can mean stout of heart, and it can mean physically. She could take a punch. Stout. Yeah, she can take a low centre of gravity. <laughs> kaput. Can't take a punch. Oh, um, okay, kaput. Through us, let's try kaput. Um, um, passionate, skilled, uh, dead. <laughs> Finally, now, which one's... It's Demas. What an aggressively random character to pick. <laughs> well, you uh, scratched it out, Skip. <laughs> I, I wanted to so, be Skip. I, I think if I, if I give you three words for Demas, I've, I've just ex I've added 700 levels of depth to his character. Um, well, he, he would be... He would be... Um, he would be greedy. Um, he would be... Cowardly, uh, he would be entrepreneurial. <laughs> and, and because I wanted to leave Skip, uh, Skip. Oh, Skip! <laughs> well, but he contains bloody multitudes, doesn't he, Skip? Um, and you know what? I'll be honest. He hasn't got a character, right? He's a he was a dead Decepticon. He is a ship. Uh, he didn't even have a joke to people in the UN. I know. I know. That's not the first time that's fallen flat, is it? Yeah. I know it was me thinking, oh yeah, skip, that's a good, that's a good, that's on the wheeze like shock and awe. Yeah, great, and that landed well, didn't it? Oh. Oh, yeah, I've got two final questions. Yeah. Right? yeah. Uh, first is the same one from last year, because the same man who stopped me in the toilets last year to ask me this, the, asked me this again earlier. Toilet attendant, yeah. <laughs> that was bad. bad. It's not exclusive, mate. <laughs> Classic UK 6. Yes. To help this man in okay, toilets, right, okay. resolve so, issues. So Classics UK, it, it is happening. It's my fault that it's 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 been delayed. It's not my fault that we keep putting um, dates online to sort of give you false hope. I, I'd much rather there be a proper reliable date when the book is, is you know, either gone to printer or is being proofed out of it. So it will happen. But um, I, I mean, honestly, I'd say, don't, I'd say don't trust the Amazon dates. Uh, I wait till it arrives on your you know, three letterbox, really. But it is going to happen. There you go, toilet man. You, yeah. In fact, last year when I wrote back, I wrote back as a joke beforehand, saying some people yeah. saw me in the toilet. So then it happened on a day. Some people <laughs> saw me in the toilet to ask it. You know, maybe you've spent less time in the toilets. Yeah, this way you've been to my hours past. 
Uh, but my final question and my final question podcast is it too late for a drink? It, what now, right now, it's never too late for a drink, is it really? Um, I think that's a nice, that's a nice sort of Dave Allen way of ending it. Um, do you remember what that is actually called that to? No. Oh God, I thought you were just being. <laughs> I thought you just, Oh, I thought you were just being convivial. Okay. Um, this is the this is the last words of Skids. Uh, sorry, Trail Cutter in the in the flashback, wasn't it? In the past, um, elegant chaos. Yeah. Have I? Have I? Uh, no. As someone who works in this profession, I've been insulted. You've already forgotten this person. Oh my God. The, um, <laughs> I, I all of your Twitter followers know what we're talking about and they're laughing heartily at this point. Okay, well, no one can see the blank expression. <laughs> I'm lost. I, I'm sorry. I'm... Have you been in any supermarkets lately? Oh my God! <laughs> thank you very much. Right, okay, yes. Thank you for dr- You know what? I went back there with my wife well, this is my wife. Exactly. Yeah. Do you think that would improve things? I well, I don't know. It's to be honest, it's all a bit up in the air at the moment. Okay. Um, yes. Thank you. I, I obviously successfully buried that. If it makes you feel better, I know these people. These are my people. She was psyching you. Do you think? That's the only abuse. All I went. I just guys. wanted to buy some milk and toilet roll. I don't think it was going to be, we, you know, we shatter my ego. We don't like our customers. We deliberately misunderstand what they say to humiliate and degrade them. Oh, that, that's been my life, pretty much. <laughs> I don't need that at Waitrose as well. Other supermarkets do well, exist. Don't, don't try and get a date to Waitrose. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, thanks, Stuart. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note. On that note. James, thanks very much. Thank you. And um, enjoy the rest of the presentation. Yeah. And we're back in the room. Uh, what a fantastic interview that was, and what beautiful hosts there were on that. And uh, thanks again to James who agreed to do it. And I've just popped back in here just at the end with my two conspirators in crime. So, uh, Marion, uh, would you like to share your Twitter and anything that you've been up to lately you'd like people to look at? Um, on Twitter is Morta, as is pretty much everything online that I frequent. And that includes Tumblr. As I mentioned before, I do a bit of uh, toy photography. So if that's your cup of tea and you'd like to see pictures of Transformers toys, uh, go visit my Tumblr. And Tom, uh, what are you up to? Uh, Right now I'm busy putting together a live show of my other podcast, The Saga of the European King. Uh, That can be found at The Saga of the European King uh, com. It's on SoundCloud and Bandcamp and iTunes and Stitcher and Libsyn. Um, we're going to have the live show is going to be on Friday the 6th of October in Brighton at the Onca Gallery Uh, track me down on the Circle of the European King Facebook page or on my Twitter account which is at Tara McNally and you can join in this bonanza and uh, you know I should say if you live near Brighton and you don't go you're very lazy because I'm going and I've got to be like four hours on trains and buses because apparently nobody likes to go to Brighton so they don't do much of a way of transport there on weekends so if I can do it all you Brightonians can as well you have did no I tell you that they put a rattlesnake now on the bus just one a rattlesnake yeah there's a rail replacement bus and you know it gets you there but there is a rattlesnake well there you go that's a, that's a risk you'll have to take it's worth it I am at Inflatable Dalek of course my second transformation book is out now it's out there it did very well at TF Nation uh, so I'm relatively pleased with that people seem to have liked it they've mainly been impressed by the width of it it's uh, made a few people's eyes water it almost did <laughs> make it a bit too big to be honest they'd much rather have a smaller book that would take less of their lives up <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. Uh, We are the Podcast Maximus team. Farewell. Bye. Bye.